Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Show. I'm Nico and you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX and I'm TK. And I am super jazzed, super jones, super excited. One of the things we've been talking about on this show for a while is we started as a show that was like kind of reviewing uh, the books as soon as they were happening. We were trying to cover, you know, everything when, okay, so rewind we just did this amazing Krakoan bracket experiment where we did like a march madness style bracket we called it bracketeering right and one of the things we tried to do with it was rank every Krakoan era title and it gave me an opportunity to reflect on the first uh six weeks of the Krakoan age where x-men marauders excalibur new mutants x-force fallen angels so it actually spelled x-men xf mm. so like it actually had like a cool thing that it did right and so like when we started this show trying to be current trying to be live one of the things that we did was we said you know we can handle being current every week because we're doing one book we're doing two books and then all of a sudden it's like three books it's four books and you know you hit a point where like you either commit to covering literally every book at marvel uh, you know every week or you uh hi robbie hey robbie uh you either can you know commit to covering every book at marvel or you don't and like this is the first week that we're cover every bookish yeah now that we've gone from audio to video you know we've done some really excellent deep dives into certain series that had been going on for a while and reached a natural point for us to stop and take a look and we will still be doing a bunch of that but uh i think we both agreed that one thing we really love is really talking about this stuff when it's fresh and so we wanted to make sure that we took the time to account for what comes out every week and you know some things that'll be like hey don't forget that also came out this week but really we're going to talk about it next week when the final issue comes out well, or like, you know, there's stuff that like, I don't want to say that like, I'm going to, I'm going to delay on. Yeah. Right. But there's stuff that like, if there was an issue that was like super duper nightcrawler heavy and Jonah wasn't on it, you know, that week because Jonah, for whatever reason, couldn't make it. Like I could see myself being like, we're going to hold up a little bit till yeah. the next issue, but Predominantly, you know, one of the things that I want this show to be able to do is to facilitate uh, access to very recent information. And this week had a really unbelievable amount of new information. And like one of the things that I like is that we do have our original lineup ready. And I would just love to flash that on the screen briefly and just let everybody know the amazing books we're going to be taking a look at today because uh, it's a doozy. We're going to kick things off with a look at the last three issues of Wolverine and X-Force each, of which there are a number, right? Um, and I know I just said it's three each, but it, it I, I mean this in a good way, I guess. It felt like more than three each. Yeah, and you know, the way it ties into, both, both books are woven together and tie into such a long backstory as I keep bringing up. Uh, X-Force especially is one of the longest running titles at Marvel right now. So, you know, you're kind of, really even, even with three issues, you're really dealing with the full weight of the thing. 
And from there, we're going to be taking a look at a number of the titles that were released this week and some of the necessary issues to take a look at those to briefly look through our slides for a moment. We're also going to be taking a look at the amazing Nightcrawlers and Immoral X-Men number two, which will be taking us to year 100 of the Sins of Sinister, which... You know, it's a good thing that they went with Sins of Sinister and not Sins of Beast, even though they could have, because that event would have been called SOB instead of SOS. And uh, that's uh, pretty... It's apt. It works. It's, it's pretty apt. From here, we're going to be taking a look at some number ones that I think uh, are, are maybe hot on your mind, maybe not. If you didn't pick up this issue of Hellcat, you missed out on one of the most visually stimulating first issues in a very, very long time. If you didn't pick up this issue of Excellent, I, I, I we're going to talk about it, but Excellent might literally be only published for me. I don't even know that it's published. It's, there's a, the entire issue is about a giant floating eyeball with feelings. That's actually just something I think I am. I, I, <laughs> I can't do this. Not enough bang in the world at 7 p.m. We're also going to be taking a look at what I like to consider our, our two for two, uh, a little love connection from 1989 for you, a little Chuck Woolery, but none of the gross garbage. So we have Bishop War College 1 and 2, which is an interesting book that does a lot of interesting things that I really cannot wait to get absolutely everybody's opinion on. And then it's Red Goblin. I am excited to talk about Red Goblin. I... I see promise in this book and what it's mining. <laughs> they did such horrible things to my Philip. Maybe Philip deserves those things. Burn. And from there, we're going to round things out with a look at the unbelievable runs of Gold Goblin and Secret Invasion 1 through 5. And I mean actually unbelievable because I did not realize either run was about masturbatorily caring about uh, sad white men. Well, you know, uh, Maria Hill is not a man. Oh, you know, I hadn't really thought about Maria in this because the Tony being in it at all really blew my mind. Tony showing but... up and really taking the lead on the, you know, the the twist was a bit of a bummer, but I, I'm still writing it off as a Maria story. I love it. From there, we're going to close things out with a look at what I thought was the spookiest book in uh, a while. I really love both of these titles. We already talked a bit about Spine-Tingling Spider-Man a zillion billion years ago. And uh, now we're going to take a look at Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man. Now, the, the connective tissue is spooky. And Juan Ferreira and I guess the year 2022, the things completely not in common are everything else i feel like maybe the common thread is like you wanted spider-man to be in midnight suns but he wasn't available slash we couldn't make it work so we kind of brought the midnight suns to spider-man and you know i'm gonna get it out of the way now hmm. i am dead to death gay forever here for all of it for everything that taboo and B. Earl have brought to the Marvel Universe their Kushala book, their uh, incredible work on um, Werewolf by Night, some of the best work in Marvel horror in the last 20 years, legitimately. Um, and you know what? I've never had 
a record that sold more copies than the Bible that year. I guess what I'm trying to say is I've never had the new Gideon single of the year that comes in every hotel room, but God damn it, if they did not put in that I Got a Feeling reference, and I want you to take that in that van, and I want you to drive it away. I applaud Taboo of the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, one of my favorite writers at Marvel of the last Truly, two years. A no sentence. irony. Who could have thought I would ever say? Uh, but I, I mean, hold on though. We're talking a lot about Taboo's run at Marvel, but until we start addressing Fergie's run on Batman, I'm just not <laughs> fucking here for it. Oh, you want that bat money? Um, I, I truly, it, it's such an incredible team taboo and B Earl. And yeah, it takes uh, some real cojones to throw your own song in diegetically. as like a party song that Peter Parker is singing. Uh, I respect it. And in the midst of this really incredible story, I respect it even more. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, and now a couple of other things that were really cool this week. We had the unbelievable Marvel live, um, 60 years of x-men which okay i'm gonna say it and it's not something about marvel but don't call something 60 years of x-men and have it be the exact same as the 35 years of marvel panel the 40 years of marvel panel the 45 years of marvel panel maybe my mistake is that i'm not dead yet and i've lived through too many anniversary of marvel panels maybe that's my error when you get up there in years, you know, you start to wonder, am I but the problem? I And it has nothing to do with the amazing host, Agent M, phenomenal fun, a lot of good energy. Nothing to do with, uh, you know, the performance by Jordan D. White, right? But there is really this moment. Where you would go to a convention and Joey Q would come out on the stage as the biggest mook you ever seen. And like when Joey Q came on the stage, I felt like there was um there was a showman. You know what I mean? Joe Casada ushering in the Iron Man age made a lot of sense. And then uh you know, Axel Alonso's era was a bit more Sam Wilson as Cap. This beautiful era where a person who, you know, not a lot of people realize this, but Axel Alonso is the guy who edited Preacher, is the guy who edited uh, the, the Mike Carey run on Hellblazer, is, you know, one of the foremost finders of voices in the history of comics, is the guy who put together uh, the that oddball Spider-Man book I've told you about, is the guy who put uh, JMS on spider-man like he's a name you know we're not talking we're talking about the guy who put peter milligan on x-force you know so like you bring it all full circle so you know it's a guy who is a brilliant visionary but his statements are always a little bit quieter you know what i mean and then you wind up in this world where cb sabolsky's editor-in-chief and cb sabolsky being editor-in-chief is kind of like the spider-man age because it's the age of bright and flashy and exciting and new and reactive and young but old and kids but adult and child and but parent and it doesn't have the same adult gravitas that I felt perhaps it was under the live events 
of Joe Casada. Joe Casada live events felt like a New York MOOC was putting on a show for you. And CB Sabolsky era live events feel very tailor-made to the internet in a good way, in a positive way. And here we have uh, three of the greatest heroes in the history of X-Men. We have uh, Walt and Wheezy Simonson, and we have the grandfather of crankiness himself, our very own Chris Claremont. And I say ours, like he's ours. But, um, you know, this is a, this was an event. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I really do agree with you. I think there was a fear of taking risks and a desire to do something that unequivocally would be nice. And I get it. Uh, I think, you know, being an X-Men fan in and of itself is, is you know, a, a fandom is sort of a risky thing. There has to be a little bit of edge to it at all times. There's got to be, uh, you know, questions that you don't like the answers to. There's got to be really looking at the fringe and the margins and the places where the mutants live and that being where you kind of do your investigation, even in celebratory moments. And it just felt a little bit like we couldn't possibly like, let's just ask the nice questions. And there was a lot of who was your favorite? You know, there was a lot of I'm not asking them to be like, who do you really hate? Or like, who was the worst editor? But I think there after 60 years, there's a chance to really get out there and get cerebral and take stock of what 60 years has meant. I don't feel the event did that and uh, you know sometimes that's just going to be the case but i think we as x-men fans are never going to stop going to those places and sometimes it just becomes a matter of us doing it for ourselves speaking of going to those places doing it for ourselves and kind of capturing a moment mm. we started a deep dive over this summer where we looked at every page of the mc2 universe and we believed when we finished we were donezo you and me were donezo and we thought this was the case, but the universe had something a little different in store for us. And we thought when Stephanie Williams bestowed upon us the four-part Spider-Girl series that saw Spider-Girl and Benji teaming up together to fight someone who isn't Arcade, I guess. <laughs> Not my problem. Uh, we thought that was like the, the height, the, the height of gaiety, as it were. And then uh, Marvel went up, Marvel went ahead and said, no, 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 we can do bigger, we can do better. And they gave us the return of the MC2. They gave us an all new Avengers Unlimited comic featuring J2 and Mainframe. And evidently there's gonna be a second issue that's gonna feature uh, the amazingness that is American Dream. There might even be a third issue, but it's a little hard to tell from Marvel fandom right now. And uh, we've covered every word of this universe, so it just feels like such a reward that Marvel is taking the time to uh, revisit this universe. And, you know, I think we, we said we really have covered everything we possibly can. And we said, we never said, like, we're donezo. We, we said this is, this is the conclusion with that really hopeful, like, we fell so in love with this, we have to believe that somebody else is also in love with this and will do something more with it. But we can't keep doing just like little slivers of things. We got to have a real thing. 
and you know we were really winding up towards the end when that stephanie williams story came and that was a, a solid story it was not a complete pickup on the universe but it was a really solid story and that happened here again with this avengers thing like there's this is not a forgotten slice of marvel real estate and i it's just so exciting to me to have spent all of this time identifying what makes this universe and these characters special and to see that there are other people and other creatives that see the same thing and want to you know play in the same sandbox and i hope this is really just these have been some like opening salvos of something more to come because there's room and that's the thing that always gets my attention there's room for all of these ideas to exist at marvel at once and i think we're really starting to see uh, a bigger growth into where a multifaceted world that tries to accommodate multiple avenues of storytelling you know i think that one of the biggest mistakes they ever made was shutting down the multiverse system in secret invasion and then you know they quickly are like no that's not what we did but you know all of the rumors for a few years were well it's gonna be gone it's gonna be gone so don't you worry too much about the multiverse because they're gonna get rid of it so uh it's gonna be fine they're just gonna get rid of the multiverse and then it turns out everything's fine there's still a multiverse and like mc2 is just like such a fundamental thing even if you didn't read it as a kid it influenced you and i would be fascinated to know how many of the people publishing books that we're covering today were directly influenced by uh good old tommy d and the mc2 universe and i'd love to know how many people are inspired by the idea of you know starting fresh or maybe even the idea of like once you have opened the bag you can't put it all back in. Like now that the MC2 is out there, I feel like one of the big things for me is I want to do something with it because so much has already been done. And no, you can't just put it away and hide it forever. It really reflects something that deserves to be reckoned with. And that's where I am so excited about this, this future. And I can't wait to talk about not just the future because, you know, one of the things that we really loved was we loved wild thing oh, and yeah. you know that was one of the hardest things for us to let go of from the mc2 universe wild thing is the most unbelievable version of the wolverine character she has none of the trauma none of the problematic stuff that kind of ruins a character like that and she has all the fun celebration her mom is electra double hot and, uh, you know, it just makes me excited for the potential. Fe oh, there's our girl. There she is. And, and there's you know, us. In this, in this 1998 future world, the idea that Logan might settle down and be happy with somebody, let alone Electra, and that they might produce a child. Like, I... A part of me, as much as I want to see Wild Thing in, in current continuity, like I want Wild Thing going up to Logan and saying, like, hey, I actually know for a fact that you can be happy and you don't have to marry this universe's Electra, but like you and my dad were the same person up to a point and he just decided to be happy. And sometimes maybe, Logan, you choose to be this miserable. There are things that come out of the MC2 that I don't think they were done this high mindedly, but now 30 years later i think we can kind of see how they really can reflect on our kind of desperate need for pathos that you know is such a big part of the 616 
Well, speaking of desperately needing to be miserable, the current runs of Wolverine and X-Force oh, are pretty uh, miserable. And, mm-hmm. like, for the characters, not, like, miserable, I can't get through them. But they are a, a certain level of paramour, a little bit of, you know, it's such paramour misery business, I can hear Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> so I really want to talk for a little bit about the nature of Wolverine and X-Force and... You know, I loved Beast as a kid, as a chunky nerd who dreamed of being jacked, right? Uh, I loved Beast as a kid. I wanted to be Beast when I grew up. Uh, Everybody had crushes on Beast until just a few years ago, kind of, sort of, in my mind, in memory. He was just sweet and kind. And, like, I remember when he did the all-new time warp thing, and I just remember thinking, like, this isn't Hank for me. But then everything doubled down on that was Hank. And I hate it. And here we are. <sighs> Going all the way back to All New and his bringing back the O5, that for me was such a good example of like a terrible idea that made me so mad at a friend, but that it was still a friend that, you know, at the end of the day, even though I really agreed with Cyclops in a lot of ways and felt Cyclops was right, uh, he made mistakes as well. And, you know, I just wanted to sit these two down and say, you've known each other since you were 16 years old. You're both being jackasses. You've got to figure this out in some capacity. And living with that frustration with Hank was tough, but actually really kind of an enjoyable part of that time in X-Men seeing Hank the person that believes that the ends justify the means was like dude come on you're killing me here but even that I was like I can see how we got there and then we just went over this cliff and I the only thing I worry about with the cliff like I I really respect this idea of like crossing a Rubicon but you know we do talk all the time about how you've got to put the toys back for somebody else to play with. And I don't know how you get beast back after this. Well, let's bring in somebody who might have a thought or two on how to get beast, uh, back into shape on this. Uh, Jonah, as one of our resident scientists, we'd love to bring you to the table and uh, get your opinions. Beast, uh, blue misunderstood angel or, uh, very effed up menace. Oh, and where can everybody find you? <laughs> also, unmute yourself. I thought I did. Uh, hello, everyone. You can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And I can confidently say, I hope Beast doesn't survive this experience. Beast, I feel like they tried to do an extreme radical change in personality. Uh, Actually, I shouldn't say that. I feel like they tried to see that Beast was kind of always like this, this maniacal mad genius that got slowly more and more evil as time went on. Uh, maybe not necessarily evil. Uh, jerkish, mean. Um, as you said, ends justify the means. And it's almost very stark comparative to when you first see, uh, you know, uh, Muscle Jim. Uh, um, also, if anybody... I don't know how many people are older uh, readers as compared to new readers, but go back and look at when Beast was first drawn, and he looks just like a squatter, wider, um, 
arcade. It's it's a little it's a shocking. He has some like Irish boy hamburger syndrome for a little while. Yes, he's uh he looks like the hamburglar. It's <laughs> it's bad. Maybe that's why he turned out evil because someone called him the hamburglar. But I feel like, especially in the Cohen era, there were enough people trying to do the ends justify the means, and we got that with the Quiet Council. We got that with Apocalypse. We got that with a lot of different characters that were major and in play with so many different events. But Beast thought. No, no, no. I have to do this. And I don't know if I really agree with that because it's not enjoyable to watch. It's not enjoyable to watch Beast launder money and make this giant space prison that he was experimenting on people. It's not fun to watch him hold Logan as a prisoner and nobody question anything and nobody go looking for him and everyone just being fine and complicit with the way that Logan is currently acting. I is a level of belief that I can't suspend with the things that Beast get gotten away with that I don't see how you could quite really bring this character back outside of giving it the Cassandra Nova treatment of killing Beast and resurrecting him, taking out all the evil parts. You know, I, just on that, that was one of my favorite parts of the X-Men live stream when uh, Agent M was like, you know, at the end of your run, you kind of had uh, Beast be like a villain. Uh, so how do you feel about the current state of things? And Grant Morrison comes in and is like, oh, well, you know, I never had him be a villain. You know, he's just uh, he's used and he got uh, harbored and he was destroyed. It wasn't like, uh, uh. Please like, don't write in about this accent. Oh, no, it was, that's. That's my uh, it's, very, it's very close to your Machine Gun Moira accent. Yeah, my secondary mutation is my accents can kill anyone. Um, but yeah, just this idea that even the people who put Beast on this trajectory are like, what are you talking about? That wasn't my intent. And I'm like, well, boyo. Yeah, I mean, you know, Percy really has a vision. And like, there's a big part of me that really respects how he has stuck around this entire time and executed his narrative plan he clearly has thoughts about how things are uh and you know how characters are especially beast and and logan too you know he has a lot of thoughts about how logan is and how logan loves and what logan cherishes and what logan would do in a variety of situations and i really do respect somebody who has that kind of like I'm not just kind of writing in a stream of consciousness and then, and then, and then kind of plot style. I'm not joking. He's not joking. He's not joking about what Beast will do. Um, look how blue he looks. I just, we've gotten to a place where no matter how much I respect that this is how Percy sees Beast, I don't, you know, I'm using Morrison as an example, Morrison saw Magneto as completely unredeemable, and I respected that too, but the way they had to retcon that so we could have Magneto for the next 10 years, which were some of Magneto's best years, it's a really just unfortunate impasse that a writer can bring a character to uh, when this really is communal property, and I, I would think that we had learned the lesson with Magneto, but it seems like we're kind of doomed to repeat these mistakes in terms of like, I suspect that we are getting kind of a facile explanation for why we are allowed to like beast again when this is all said and done. Well, no, I don't think doom was in this issue. 
<laughs> well, uh, part of it for me is we're getting like okay, X Force has nothing to do with Wolverine anymore, and yeah. for a while, I, it's almost like Ben Percy heard the commentary. Hey, you got to stop running it like it's one book. And this this happens, you know. There's always two books that are one book at, at the X office when for a while. Yeah, it's a very wannabe situation. Um, you know, whenever Astonishing was around being posh, right? New X Men Academy X was running around being sporty. When Cable is running around being Scary Spice, X Force is running around being the other girls. Uh, during the Viva Forever years, just scary. Trying to spice stuff. up their life. Yeah, right. Um, Hip hop is harder. Moonwalk the Foxtrot. So the you know whole thing. I I think I'm thinking is that somebody finally said to Ben Percy, "Your ideas are too good to keep forcing them together like this in ways that aren't organic." And Marvel said, "Okay, two separate books." And now X-Force is kind of like, as you said, TK, when we were talking about our notes, X-Force is just treading water while we wait for all of the sins of Beast to pay off in Wolverine and then weapons of X and poor Jake, poor Jake, who is not a Wolverine reader, not a Ghost Rider reader, but I don't know how they can read uh, Way of X or what, no, what is it? Legion of X, which has Spirit of Variance in it when weapons of x is coming and it looks like it's gonna be a, an intertwined moment yeah i don't know i mean like it's tough because three nearly four years on is kind of a tough point at which to be like hey you gotta stop treating these like one book like literally before the three issues that we're talking about uh for both books they are still doing the intertwined thing where a storyline will start in one and get picked up in another you know we're really starting to see uh sage question beast and like she arrests him for a moment but it the the way in which that that gets hand woven such that beast is allowed to continue working is very odd and you know it just doesn't feel like a, a satisfactory end and then beast really moves over to wolverine to continue his horrors and then meanwhile we just do this x-force storyline that is about uh the man with the peacock tattoo turning out to be the gene engineer from genosha's son who got himself his own son that is the baby from uh the the mutant baby area uh and that baby loves him because it got aged up but then didn't want to be there and is now excited to be back I don't really know what to do with all this. The man with the peacock too is like kind of cool, uh, like as an adversary, sure, whatever. But now he's the gene engineer's son. And I don't know that unless you're going to give me like some real Genosha stuff. I no. don't know that. Yeah. No. And like, here's why I'm, I'm not like your opinion doesn't matter. No, no, I'm no, like, please. I, I, yeah. don't do it. And do you it. know what? I want to actually, I know I'm bringing in somebody who doesn't really read the titles exactly to talk about this, but I feel like there's nobody that can better understand what I'm trying to express right now than Jake. Uh, so I would love to bring Jake to the party. Uh, one of the big things that I think the dangers of returning to Genosha needlessly would do is the Genosian metaphor was really poorly handled in the first place. There was not a deftness to the idea of discussions of 
ethnic cleansing of discussions of formative culture and civilization from uh, othered people. Uh, there was no discussion of caste system outside mm -hmm. of we're rich, you're poor and slaves. And the oversimplification of the caste system, that it was just the haves and the have-nots, as though there is no class system of haves, as if the haves would not pit the have-nots against each other in unique ways, it was a little too facile for me uh, at the time. And I would love to get, Jake, how you would feel if the modern ex-office uh, tried to do something as sus as bring back the Genosian era and also who you are, where you're from, what's your name? Oh, hey, how's it going? Um, hello, everyone. I'm Jake. I uh, I live here in this little square. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel or on Instagram at um, The Heart Farmer. I got to I'm gonna line those up at some point. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I'm not I'm not I'm not a fan of, of bringing in sloppy social commentary and the Genosha thing has had, like Genosha as a historical X-Men element has had so many ups and downs and a lot of inconsistency. I think that this thing with the Peacock Man being the Gene Engineer's, you know, less cool son is a twist. But I also, I, I just like, is that why he's good at genetics? Because he's the Gene Engineer's son? That's yeah, so dude. dumb. Yes. That's like, that's it's like, like the, the determinism that his dad is the Gene Engineer and he's like, oh yeah, so I both hate mutants and I'm really good he's, at messing with To be clear, he's genes. the Gene Engineer's clone that the, he, the Gene Engineer raised them. It, that, counts yeah. as, that counts as a bad son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a bad son. And, you know, he raised multiple ones. Of, like, there are ways you can get to, you know, he learned about genetics. But I do think, yeah, that is... Yeah, you don't learn about genetics being locked in a cage and having your organs harvested for your dad. Like, right. I'm sorry, if by watching people I mean, be good at things, I would be good at heterosexuality by now. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Right, so, no. I mean, if just being good at just watching people do something made you good at it you know what i mean we'd yeah. have competent politicians but i'm wondering so... do you mind if i tack back a second to beast oh yes yeah, just, just for a second because I, I really so this is beast's darkest this is 616 beast's darkest era absolutely yeah. but i also like in in retrospect and kind of reflecting on the arc that percy's given him i don't think it's an unearned dark turn like given some of the the big beats of his work during the legacy virus era like the threnody thing like it's i think he always had a darkness in him that we really saw born out in the age of apocalypse initially like that's beast turned really dark. like and i just I don't love seeing it happen for him but at least i i love seeing marvel characters change over time and you know he's got an arc and it's kind of interesting and he's going to be a bad guy. I just, I guess I just wish it wasn't echoing Moira's like I'm an evil scientist who is also turning dark arc. Um, well, and at the same time as sinister doing the same shit as sinister with people yeah. in cages, like sinister doing experiments in secret, like sinister secretly messing gone. with, yeah, well, secretly messing it, with things that haven't been born yet, like sinister. Well, it reflects an anxiety of the era for sure. Um, this idea that like, you know, this is a general mistrust that feel like of systems and systemic issues. Like I just, I feel, I feel that this is this is trying to ring a bell, um, and and I'm a little confused about like what 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 is the bell that we're trying to ring exactly? Egg I GPT. Mean, <laughs> you know the fact that we really hit in this last Wolverine. So you know, like Beast activates his, uh, you know, his end game plan. Literally uh, picks up a piece of the island and walks it away from the rest of the island and. Such a dick. Releases a bunch of beast clones, and now that is to him X Force. Everybody 
Sage, Domino, Logan, Deadpool, Omega Red. They have been fired from Beast Sex Force, and he is now running everything, and he is doing it to keep mutants safe. He will commit these atrocities to save millions of mutants, and that, on balance, is okay to him. He, he sleeps soundly knowing the ends justify the means. <sighs> sure... My two questions become, one, temporally, did this all happen before Sins? Is it happening after Sins? And then the other question is, how are these two things not, if we're intertwining stuff, how is Beast not either working with Sinister? How is he not one of the checks on Sinister? It just, to have this story exist in a vacuum where Beast is committing a similar level of atrocity for different reasons, sure, but where the ramifications could be just as bad. And you could go into, you know, 10 years later from the fall of Beast, 100 years later. And we've sort of seen how bad that gets in the Morrison run. Like, that, this is such a divorced event and that we might really go through this whole thing without it ever touching the other brilliant scientist who kind of feels that his way is the best way and won't have any you know won't be told anything else it's just weird to me with x-force and wolverine being so intertwined it's odd that we can't intertwine beast and sinister well and to that i'm going to move us into our this week's coverage with taking a look at the first two books of Sinis sins of sinister way too many sus noises right we shouldn't have so sus from the beginning we're going to be taking a look at nightcrawlers number two and immoral x-men number two and I didn't love these. I liked them, but this did suffer from I jumped forward a hundred years with no information. I I understand sometimes why in order to craft the story you're trying to craft, right? Like you need to prove to me that this event makes a, a, an impact. You cannot prove to me that this is the end of the Asgardians. If for no other reason we've seen the Thor equivalent of the spark literally rebirth itself at the end of time. Like we've literally seen in Thor canon that came before this and that I don't mean in any disrespectful way is bigger than this. That something like this would just be so impossible. Like literally just not possible. So... I find myself sometimes like when you try to go bigger and bigger, you just so lose track of it where Immoral X-Men was a knockout of the park in some ways because it was so focused on its own characters. It didn't try to convince me that this is uh, Thanos, that they're humbling. It's Sinister who's like, this is out of control. Whereas defeating the Asgardians, sure. That's like putting on a really big strap on and telling me it makes you a man. It's that's that's not the measure of masculinity or the determinants of a man. It's not what hangs there. It's so much more than that. And trying to simplify this situation in Nightcrawlers as severe by defeating the Asgardians just felt silly. I will say Elsa Bloodstone made it a decent far amount of time alive. <laughs> I, <laughs> Which I, I was very happy about. She, <laughs> I did dialogue. That. she was immediately defeated, but that didn't matter. She made it very far, which is honestly doesn't surprise me. 
when you have uh, the ability that basically makes you immortal, uh, you know, the stone that makes you immortal, uh, that potentially being the mutant says not that I think that'll ever come out of anything out of it. That is something that could have been played with. Um, there are certain ideas that I think I really enjoyed out of here, but I do have to agree with you, Nico. The one-upmanship of itself, I think, is a pitfall. Uh, I think Immoral X-Men worked a little bit better for me than Nightcrawlers 2. Nightcrawlers 2 got a little muddled for me in terms of what we're seeing. Uh, whereas Immoral was felt because it's following the exact same trend of um, Immortal X-Men, of focusing on these Quiet Council members on these stories, that Exodus is betraying hope. I was like, okay, that's, that was bound to happen. They're all, it's all sinister. They're all going to betray one another. There can only be, one, as Mother Righteous said, there can only be one sinister on top. That there isn't room for all these sinisters. Um, it, especially not even the competing faction of sinisters between all the different spades, though, you know, Dr. Stasis is already dead. We already took care of one of them. Um, Dr. Stasis, Dr. Stasis? <laughs> Dr. Stasis! Dr. Stasis! That's my uh, Jodie Foster impression. Um... I lost my train of thought because I had to talk about Jodie Foster. Um, <laughs> I was very happy to see Rasputin back, but I don't know if these are the circumstances I wanted her back in. I I have a real I have a thought about that actually. I think I think in the way that uh, like Sentinel tech or AI is an inevitability, or like Moyer determined that this was an inevitability in in the like. The process of life evolving on earth i think rasputin 4 is a genetic inevitability that sinister will always put together and so will always kind of emerge as this heroic archetype in in the timeline um and that's you know, i was so excited to see her again and so excited to see the way this humbled essex came to her and said you know a hundred years of this, a hundred years of like the decimation, the ruining, the genocide of all species. And it's my fault. And this wasn't what I wanted. Once there was this paradise and I destroyed it. And now we have this chance and I need a hero. So I made myself a hero. It was just, there was something so beautiful about that. I thought that was so well-written and I just, I got chills at that moment. Essex I... finding his humility was just, yeah, it does take another hundred years. You know, I, I agree. That was, to me, something that was a, a, a highlight moment. But I guess it came so kind of out of nowhere. I Part of me really needed to stop. And I'm going to like sound like Laganja Stranja. I needed that moment. Like, I needed to stop <laughs> and have that moment. There was so much more to that. Because for decades and decades, I mean, Sinister's like sitting in the head of the Dreaming Celestial, cloning himself, being like, fuck it all. And for him to go from that to this quiet moment of being like, I was so wrong. I just maybe needed like one more, you know, there, there we're getting sins of sinister at the start of this. And then sins of sinister at the end of it, we're getting these one shots. And I maybe wanted one in the middle that really follows uh, diamond Essex and like, lets me see the internal process because mm -hmm. I know Gillen can write it. Cause he wrote three of them during judgment day for like random <laughs> characters that I didn't need. So I could have really used it for Essex, and that was a little bit tough. To your point about um, the inevitability, I sort of do wonder if 
the really big thing this is doing is kind of reshuffling our understanding of how inevitabilities, dominions, how all these concepts that got introduced mm -hmm. in Hoxpox now operate since things have changed from the initial uh, like supposition of all those ideas. Absolutely. I think I really think this series and all of these titles needed an extra issue. There yeah. are times where I've been like just like an unlimited 0.5. Yeah. Yeah, like, it doesn't it doesn't you know, Nightcrawler's 1.5 on a it can be like 10, 15 pages, even like somewhere around that number. But I, I, I think I have to agree that we needed a little bit more. The, you're jumping 90 years, but you're not really giving us the really important things of character development that happens in that 90 years. You're just showing us the culmination of everything. But we kind of need a, just a little bit more to really get on board with everything. Because as much as I did enjoy it, like Jake said, I also agree that it came a little bit out of nowhere. But I still think Immoral X-Men works a little bit better than Nightcrawlers 2 for me. Nightcrawlers 2, I still think I'm a little bit lost on everything that's happening. Well, I, and I, I can deal with a story that kind of drops me in media res, but I think that there was still there still weren't enough strong connections made between issue one and issue two. I had to like go back and look up who Madame Fortune was again. I was like, oh, yeah. that was the Domino Nightcrawler. Okay, okay. And there's that force field. And that's how they, that's their, okay. I like this as the kind of the 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 piece that's showing me what Mother Righteous is up to. It's just the 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 Nightcrawler like candy coating is not as sweet as I as I would like it to be uh, around that the shell of caramelly uh, Mother Righteous goodness. Mm -hmm. I like Twixes. Well, and I think part of the problem is like, does anybody? I don't know if anybody remembers, but like, um, I want to say like three years ago, four years ago, Marvel did this like hundredth anniversary special. And it was like every book a hundred years from now yeah, or every book's thousandth issue or whatever. <laughs> and so you're jumping forward and they're, you know, they're, they're constantly explaining the things that you missed. And it's sort of like heroes were born where they're like, don't forget to check out squadron Supreme and the blah, 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 number 92 from 1997. Mm -hmm. And that's really cool. When it doesn't matter. And you kind of have one choice or another. Sins of Sinister matters or it doesn't. And it can't not matter so much that it doesn't really need to make sense. Have a lot of, but like, I love watching classic episodes of American Gladiators. Half the time when I put on these headsets, I just feel like effing Larry Zonka. And that's just what it is, right? I don't need to look up and be like, oh, Laser is doing her thing right now. She's being cool. Oh, there's Diamond and Ice. Cool. I know that Diamond had this problem last week. No. I'm looking up and I'm just seeing the action figures punch. And if that's what this is, sure. But if the intricacies of the Sins of Sinister universe are going to matter, then the motivation that led Sinister to changing his mind is going to matter because if the motivation doesn't matter and the events don't matter then you're just openly saying you're just trying to hit the moments on a beat sheet you're not trying to sell me a story you're just trying to sell me the wikipedia entry so i, I do need some balance here of nothing matters we can jump 90 years with no explanation and it all matters. Don't miss this event. Can't wait for you to see how this one leads into the next one, leads into the next one, leads into the next one. 
news is always going to be the push and pull as like readers of a uh, you know of comic books uh, you know it's, it's consumer culture they want us to buy comic books they want us to keep reading you know i think the like the question of does it matter ends up becoming a very personal kind of relationship to the text kind of question you know it matters to me because i love these characters and i'm curious to see how this shakes out who's changed for who's changed for however long they're changed for you know i like seeing this reality where nathaniel essex goes from being this like this this haughty dandy to this like this not he's still a dandy but like there's this piece of him that knows that he really messed up and my and, question is did we see him go from that well or that's have you just seen that's the thing pictures this is my other thing though is like in relating to the text for me as a reader, I, you know, comics, so much of the comics experience exists in the gutters between the panels, and I love stitching that together. I love putting in my mind together that scene, you know, or that the 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 montage of Sinister uh seeing and, and seeing these mistakes and hanging his head, seeing the world fall and hanging his head, seeing Earth destroyed and hanging his head, and seeing Rasputin and seeing a chance. Um, like, no, it's not, it's not written there, but the opportunity to kind of construct that narrative for a reader is, is the, and that's, that's one of the things I love about reading comics. Um, I, I don't, I agree with you to a certain degree. Um, I think we, we jumped a little too much. Um, you know, I think even, even this hypothetical 15 page unlimited story where Sinister even, like we even get Sinister saying, you know, it's year 50, you won't believe what I saw, and this is the third time. Something that just gives me some idea of, but like I spent a lot of this kind of trying to figure out, like, is that the guy from Immortal X-Men? Um, because it doesn't feel like him, and I don't know how he became this like kind of sullen, short-haired, very serious kind of poetic person um and it you know with that haircut with the haircut yeah i do like that also kind of colossusy but whatever um i do kind of to to nico's point like this does kind of feel to me like i'm getting the important beats for what i need to know for when reality resets and what are the big mechanical things that this revealed to us that are going to be important that writers might pull one day to you know end the Krakoan age to bring Moira back to explain why destiny does what she does it feels like it's about establishing more mechanics than it does telling this story and to that point I actually want to go slightly out of order on the slide so yeah. you know producers extraordinaire please no one uh club me like a baby seal but um my it's a prayer for the dying so, so um I kiss from a rose. Uh, so I want to point to talking about the nature of living in the gutters, right? Because I couldn't agree with you more about a lot of things when it comes to comics, Jake. For me, characterization that is personal characterization lives in the gutters, but facts have to live on the page. And Bishop War College, one and two, forced me into a position of doing a little bit of math because I had a reaction to something on the page before I got there. And I actually don't agree with everything in this book. Um, the things that I don't agree with 
are things like I don't know that I've ever seen Bishop as a bully a day in his life, with the exception of the weird period where he was on a child killing rampage. I don't know that I've ever seen Bishop as a bully. I don't know that I've ever seen him treat the kids unfairly like this before ever, but it led me to doing a little bit of math. Now, Bishop first appears in Uncanny X-Men volume number one, 282 from 1991 in September. And since September of 1991, Bishop has had 477 appearances. Okay. Noriko first appeared in New Mutants, Volume 2, Number 8, in February of 2004. Since then, she has had 171 appearances. Now, that made me realize there's 12 years between them. So I did the math. How many times has Bishop appeared since Noriko first appeared? And the answer is 237. Bishop, since Noriko's first appearance has barely more appearances than she does. In the time since she existed, he has been a mass-murdering genocidal maniac executing whole planets of people on a mission to kill a child, terrorizing the X-Men and X-Force through time and space, and we hand-wave it, as we should. It never should have been part of his character. But simultaneously, the three instances on panel ever of Noriko being Islamophobic, which were disgusting, wrong, and need to be addressed directly, are brought up constantly in comparison to the many times writers have tried to move her past that and show her as a possibly like a positive, inclusive person. One of the things that this book does is plays into the general Marvel editorial decision, not this book does something wrong, but no child is allowed to grow up at Marvel in a way where even when their body gets physically bigger, the characters that have 10 years on them continue to speak to them like dumb children. And while Bishop learns his lesson and apologizes, and there's some incredibly beautiful stuff with the world of black X-Men and how powerful that is and how incredible that is and how excited I was to read that and to know that this is done by a black creative team fulfilling their vision of a black X-Men story. That's what I want in this world. Any problems I have with it are just not my interpretation of Bishop per se. But I really loved seeing the aggressive kind of ageist and frankly a little bit a little bit anti-woman because the three characters here that have a lot of experience, Armor who actually has five fewer appearances than Bishop in the time that she's existed. Wow. Um has served on three different regular X teams, right? Like, Armor is legitimately as an X-Man as Bishop is, but culturally speaking, we attach to the Jim Lee era more than any other era, and we treat Asian women as less in this country. And Noriko and Armor are both Asian women, and we are treating them like garbage as characters. And that this book is taking the time to address that and correct that and work on that is like, what a moment for a book that is meant to be a, a black creator's opportunity to address black issues. He goes out of his way to be like, but also these Asian women deserve more respect and it's going to start with me. And I think the only critique, you know, you and I talked about this a bunch this morning, but the, my only real critique is like that maybe, uh, 
is such an important thing to do on top of what how important bishop's journey is that they maybe almost need to be two separate books that's not such a hang up that i'm like this is failed but it's just yeah. like uh we really do go from track a to track b and they are very separate tracks and i want to i want them both to have all the room that they need but you absolutely you know are speaking something that i've noticed especially with these characters where mm -hmm. like everybody after the kids after generation x don't really get to grow up and the generation x kids often do get spoken to like they are still the generation x kids which is why it's almost weird that sync like is now the most authoritative x-man because they're still not like jubilee it's like how did that rascal get a yeah. baby when they talk to jubilee or chamber like they're adults it'll be one thing right sync sync has the um i i feel so gross saying it sync has the magic of dying yeah, I mean, like, Sync is on his own journey, but it's just, like, if they can figure it out with Sync, I feel like they can figure it out with the rest of Generation X, and we can all just agree they are X-Men now. Hisako absolutely should be an X-Man, just period. Uh, Nori, I think, should be too, but, you know, she's had a little fewer appearances with, a, like, less of them being her in a position of authority. 171. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows? Like, I can maybe justify Who can never her. be sure? <laughs> who can never really be sure? But I, you know, it's the same thing. Anol is not 13. I'm sorry. He's 18 to 22. Yeah, I agree. More than more than any other group, it's the, the Academy X kids, I think, who've been stuck not in that. Kids. Kids who've been stuck in that time vortex and never given the opportunity to grow. Like, even characters who've managed to get out of, like, the X black hole, like, Prodigy, you know, getting over to Young Avengers and, you know, being able to, like, it's still a Young Avengers title and he still yeah. doesn't get to feel feel like an adult. I think X Factor, you know, he's still considered like, you know, he's he's under authority. He's he's in training. He's, you know, he's learning medicine. It's, it's, it's very frustrating because, uh, like I said before, like one of the most satisfying things for me is as a reader is getting to watch these characters change over time. And when you have you have these folks like stuck in stasis, like Pixie has been this Pixie with her soul dagger for like a decade and a half at this point. Like, give her something to do, please. Um, but you know, this is this is about Bishop War College, so we're talking about Nori and we're talking about Armor, and and this is this is some really great opportunity to see what they've been up to, how they've been feeling about the Krakoan era, and like show that they do have a lot of skill and a lot of talent and a lot of experience, and they can push back. It's the storm treatment; they can push back the enemy without their powers, and I love that. Um, so Bishop War College, I have very similar feelings to what we talked about before. I think these are two excellent stories. We got some great black excellence here. We have some great um, a, uh, female Asian characters that can really excel as bringing them to the forefront. However, these are two separate stories. Yeah. They are very different, mm -hmm. very isolated, and have right now nothing to do with one another. Eventually, they, they are going to come back together. I think that's just going to be a given. But it is a little bit hard for me when the title is called Bishop War College and Bishop isn't even there anymore. Bishop's doing what his own thing. I do want to point out that it being called Bishop War College makes the acronym a little suspect. And uh, I'm really grateful that nobody went with like Bishop Battle College. And <laughs> oh, no. uh, uh, But if they decided to go with Bishop Battle College, 
I would uh, only be sure to check the I'm sure it's accurate box. So I, I one of the things I also really noticed because we're about to make, you know, we're talking about these two books. Um, Normie Osborne to me is a kid. That but is look at this rigged, look at this ragged old man. No, not uh, this one. That's that's Cyclops. Um, but the the, the, the eyebrows on Gold Goblin are insane. Red Goblin. Red Goblin. Sorry, the eyebrows on Red Goblin. No, eyebrows. no, it's just a smooth helmet. Uh, the eyebrows on Red Goblin are insane. They're also weird because they're not right now canonically in the book. Like the, he doesn't have them. Oh, but whatever. When he goes Goblin mode. Um. No, even when, he's, even when he's got the symbiote on, he does not have the eyebrows. But setting that aside, this to me is a kid book. And, like, it is a dark kid book. This is a 12-year-old who has gone through a lot of trauma and is very clearly going to be troubled, but is a kid and is going to a grade school. And he mentions that he's going through puberty. And it's just this stark contrast because I'm reading this title that is like a kid comes into his powers and it's, you know, morally gray. It's got a bit of a horror tinge. It's got suspense. It's Osborne's. There's a lot there. But when I look at it, I think that's a kid book and there is nobody that has been in an X-Men school book in the last 10 years. Uh, yes, that, Kevin, yes. That I think of as a kid. Uh, yeah, Red Goblin's 12. Uh, Noriko and Hisako are not 12. Nope. They are and definitely 18. Red Goblin is best friends with Venom, who is also 12. Yeah, Venom is now Dylan Brock, Eddie's <laughs> son. Uh, Dylan has the symbiote that we know. Eddie's got, like, galaxy brain cosmic god symbiote stuff happening that I'm not going to get into. But uh, Dylan was like, I share... And gave uh, Normie a piece of the suit, and it's this little cute little thing that's like I hang out with Normie now. And that's His name is cute. Rascal, and it's the sweetest Rascal. little thing. It's what? real cute. It's real effed up, but it's a kids' book. Nobody who was in Academy X is in a kids' book anymore. They simply can't be. Hey, TK, you you described this book about being a kid coming into his powers, and I don't disagree with that as kind of like a as as a broad take, but my it's complicated by the fact that he's his powers are given by a symbiote, a symbiote that he's not bonded with, um, that he that he describes as being like a puppy, and that he does not treat well, um, which like breaks my breaks my heart watching like a kid who clearly like struggles to empathize but fails. Um, fail to empathize with the thing that wants to empathize with him most and like empower him. Um, I, I'm really, this is a dark story and, you know, I'm here to see this plot resolve. I'm here to see the, the turns that it takes because it is, it's really compelling, but it's also just like, I'm, I'm like on edge the entire time I'm reading it because I feel, I feel for this kid and I'm worried for this kid. It's uh, a happier normie than most normies get to normie. So, <laughs> it's uh, really true, Jonah. This is your first uh, your first normie, I believe. Correct. This is not a title that I'm currently reading, um, and part of that is I don't know if I have any interest in it. 
I'm not really familiar with Normie. Uh, to be fair, I'm not really f familiar with a lot of the the goblins, comparative to a different title of Gold oh, Goblin, so where jealous. I don't, <laughs> I didn't feel like I needed to know the extreme ins and outs of Norman. This feels a little bit more. I'm a, a little too far behind, and I don't really know if this book is for me. Well, the good news is it's secretly about Norman Osborn and not at all about Normie, and so I wouldn't worry too much about it. Everything's about Norman. I mean, yeah, it's, it's about it's like a sub gold goblin book. It's about the Osborns, and I actually kind of <gasps> don't mind. I would read a book called The Osborns. I was gonna say, I and I think they should do it um, because Liz is effed up in her own way too. Uh, that other kid is the son of a normie clone and not Liz. And Liz is raising that kid. And I Liz don't... is a goddamn saint. For her. I don't think she loves him. Um, I... You don't love me. You don't love you me. You don't love me. Um, I just... It's... Yeah, favorite it's all... goblin. <laughs> fan favorite <laughs> goblin. Fan favorite. Everyone, fan favorite. You did it. Fan favorite goblin. Oh. <laughs> I'd rather keep this to be it on, please. Pheromone as Pink Goblin. Uh, please call me Marvel. We are ready to write this. These bombs exploded. Producer Kevo is dying in the background. <laughs> the Osborns are very dark right now, and I I know we're gonna move into gold at some point, uh, relatively soon. It's it's all it's all dark. It's all bad. It should be. We're getting into this really interesting place where we can't just do the Green Goblin shows up and wreaks havoc. Like, we do kind of got to get internal with it. And putting a kid in the mix, a kid who has had the sins of the Osborns and to somewhat of an extent Peter as well, visited upon him when he didn't ask to be born into any of this. And to have that combined with, you know, coming into power that, yeah, maybe he has no right to, but it's happening. All, it all to me is a very interesting exploration is it a little too reliant on norman osborne yeah but like the entire spider-man world is in the same way that like too much is reliant on dr doom for like a bunch of heroes so if we accept that that's kind of a given this is really interesting and has a ton of potential that goes outside of the five issues of this book i mean i would also just like to add Nina Bosimbiad Osbrown. <laughs> I I you just didn't say go, JK though. I didn't say JK. Oh. I didn't say JK. Um, so, bombs. and you know, I think that even if we're not talking about my season, we should be talking about how I have three wins. <laughs> that's two wins that are Four just now. in my head, Four. and that's three wins that are just in my head. And one real win, and that's the real Lucy DeLuca. Lucy so, um, Ladumka? I, I keep calling... Doombot drag queen? I keep calling her Lucy DeLuca. Yes. Uh, because I think that she should be sisters with Drea DeMattia on any TV show she wants. She's going to come for you with that deadly eye We're stare. We're sisters. Lucy DeLuca. She's got a goblin sin stare. I'm her biggest fan, so I don't know why anybody would come for me. I defend <laughs> her on that couch every week. Really and truly, he does. It's a bit much. It um, must be quite the effort. It's, it's I think a lot. She's, I think she's real hot. So uh, mm. <laughs> Lucy Kabusi. 
Um, so anyway, uh, this book. I just to, to get back to. Uh, Let's talk about some more goblins. Yeah, because if you think about it, all goblins are just drag queens, right? So yeah, you're just um, putting on. You're all, we're all born naked. We're all born and naked. The rest is goblins. goblins. I mean, yeah. it's also the same thing for symbiotes. They're all oh, born yeah. naked, and the rest of symbiotes. Yeah, gold goblin. I I want to say this: if any book simulates <laughs> the MC2 <laughs> experience <laughs> and just five. Uh, Gold Goblin by Christopher Cantwell is one of my highest rated. Don't read it. I don't <laughs> read it. Like, if somebody was like, should I read that? I was like, don't read it. This but was my was like, afternoon. I read this whole thing this afternoon. But if you were like, this was $5.99 on Comixology, I'd be like, buy it. And then if somebody's like, oh, should I read it? I would be like, don't just, read it. Just have it. Just, just have, it. have it nearby just, just in case. And it it's really an emergency. Can I it's quickly really just cute. say I love it's this really Hamlet fun. cover? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, the the jack-o'-lantern cover, so good. Uh, I liked it. I really liked it. it. It was an emotional, silly little book. Um, I'll be honest, the Land Medina art is not my... I would take the Jan Dua art from Red Goblin oh, onto Gold Goblin. Uh, I would <clears throat> I would probably keep Zombie Phil just for fun. And because zombie. Um, zombie, zombie Phil bummed me out real bad. Uh, yeah, little Sasha Colby in there. Um, with their tanks of goblin serum. So how did you guys feel about likable uh, gold goblin-ish? I, I enjoyed it. Oh, keep sorry, going, I didn't mean uh, I enjoyed it. I also liked that it didn't feel like it needed to be bogged down with uh, <laughs> with uh, an event that it was supposed to be a part of <laughs> that it had nothing to do with. And said, sure, we're a part of this. This I was happening really. that day. <laughs> you just happened to be in New York that day for that event. I was, I, I guys, mean, I was like there for 9-11. You know, you know, like, yeah. I was alive on September 11th, so I was there I was for relatively close. I mean, I, I was close. I was on Staten Island. I was, yeah. I mean, I was I was 15 minutes away. So, like, I, I yeah. get it. But, like, I we're wasn't all, all close, And the rest is drag. Um, I, when I, uh, I, when we started, I picked up, I started actually with issue two and three uh, for the Dark Web event. And I realized, oh, I like this. I like the story trying to tell me. So I went back and I read everything. Um, and I can confidently say I actually did enjoy this. I thought it was an interesting take. It was my first foray into some Norman Osborn. It's to my first, you know, goblin book. And I actually really enjoyed this. Okay, Jake, this was your day. Well, you know, so I last my last entry point into the the psyche of Norman Osborn was uh Dark Rain. Um so this is a different look. For sure. He's not like megalomaniacal and wearing a, a American Iron Man suit. That's No, now he's just dressed, dressed like he's in Daft Punk. It's, which it's un You know, it's a really it's honestly it's a beautiful costume. It is. It's really And good. I Goblin you know, I'm 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 a little suspect of this idea Goblin. that you can magically I know this is comics, blah, 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 but magically cleanse someone of their like their sins or their like mental illness How from like a, a a a magic right a magic shotgun a sin eater yeah how catholic right exactly that comes to it's a it's a medieval sin eating is a medieval catholic practice read up on it it's on wikipedia it just uh, costs you a lot of money and and sacramental bread um and wine and maybe an animal depending on what kind of sin eater you're working with um yeah so that that's you know taking that as kind of like leaving that that suspect 
the suspect nature of his like reform aside um i like that he is tortured i like that he's got like gwen stacy's ghost snapping her neck at him constantly it's like it's like sasha colby <laughs> during the transitions for all of her, her, her scenes oh my gosh uh oh, i just made that connection it's fantastic thank you um thank you for being there fam um yeah so i it, it's 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 an interesting take i don't hate it i thought i was gonna be super bored by it because i don't love spider-man stuff and i was actually i i read all five issues um but my one thing is like okay dark web there's a character called queen goblin yeah yes and no one no one cracked a joke no one made a connection no, no they were too busy sit- making goblin, goblin. They were too busy well, making goblin mode jokes. Because her her name is a joke. It rhymes with Green Goblin. That's why she's Queen Goblin, not Goblin Queen. Because she's Queen Goblin, like Green Goblin or Demon Goblin. Yeah, but that's a missed opportunity. This was an event. They well, were both agreed. present in the city of New York having agreed. the same name flipped. Like, come on. Like, meet each other. Like, judge each other's looks. Like, have some tea. Nice you know, yeah, have a cocktail. Exactly. Exactly. Scarlet Scarlet Spider Spider and Scarlet Witch have got to start making jokes at one another. You're crazy this time. I'm crazy this time. Let's go end the world. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. Like we need to, we need to embrace the puns of these names. Otherwise, what are we even doing here? You know, I think my only real complaint is at the end when he was like, I had to kill her, didn't I? Didn't I have to kill her? I had to kill her, right? I just wanted to be like, yes. Actually, yes. Listen to me real quick, buddy. Come here. You showed such love and restraint. Like, and let's remember that this is a super universe, right? So we're talking about a world where people literally, like, we as a people stopped giving any cares about masks as a people. I don't mean personally, because I wore my mask until like last week. My mask is literally over there on the couch. Like we as a people stopped caring about masks after four months. Are you telling me that if people have been brought back from the dead three times, they would still notice things like people dying. So when Norman decides not to let's go with Ed Norton curb stomp a la American history X jack-o'-lantern into nothing but little gourd smashies on the ground for crashing his kid's birthday party. I think Norman Osborn actually did show growth in this universe. Queen Goblin has been responsible for multiple events. She is literally (laughs) pretending to be, she's pretending to be a therapist, which like actual, actual problem for me we really as a people need to get away from therapists make for great supervillains because as a you know as a latin man i'll tell you we already have a situation where the entirety of my people are distrustful of therapists because they believe that they're dark magicians so the last thing that we need is to further vilify therapy in this nation and so i'm over evil therapists good job killer 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 it's fine uh, and Kevo, I gotta agree. Um, and uh, you kind of speak to my point. The goblin, like the group of people that are goblins right now, are actually very interesting to me. The variety of motivations. I think something like a purple child as a goblin would be really interesting. That goblins are kind of, you know, mixing with symbiotes, and all of this stuff is happening uh, connected to Spider Man, but Spider Man doesn't have to be the prime mover of all this i think is all really great um you know jake your point also 
Jake and Nico, both of your points about like how literal mental health struggles play into this is a really complicating factor. It's not perfect. Um, but I do love, uh, to Jake's point that this didn't make Norman a good guy. This mm -hmm. just, you know, this gave him the ability to stop himself when he wants to enact incredible violence, even when it might be justified, even when there is a stand your ground defense, something is different. I think ending on this note of like, I killed her was a little, I don't know having it flow into red goblin i just i think there's a lot here i think not all of it is amazing some of it is really interesting would you say some of it is friendly neighborhood or deadly neighborhood i you know i could see i could see that that getting in the mix as well i mean i just i'm interested this was a solid five issues for me and the other one is coming up as another solid five uh Though Nico just showed me today that it will be leading into the Carnage Reigns event. Because know, so the Carnage event leads directly into the into Venom the event. Summer of Symbiotes, yeah. Which, uh, and it, I, event after event after like, event. Well, so yeah, it's funny because this was exactly what Claremont was complaining about in that 60th anniversary yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. And so... I I want to take this as an opportunity to actually talk about uh, another book. This actually like dovetails perfectly into a thing. Um, the original Secret Invasion is like my favorite era of Marvel ever. Like as a brand, um, I don't love all of the things that it said about distrust of the people in your nation uh, for our country. Mm -hmm. I love that the metaphor was made because they never once said that the right thing was to be distrustful. They said that the problem was our society that had bred a distrustful nation, that our distrust created the ability of infiltration. Mm -hmm. They were always very careful with this argument, and I don't think this miniseries was truly befitting the Secret Invasion brand name. I would have loved if this was called Skrulls Among Us, if this was called American Gothic Skrulls, if this was called uh, Shield Sucks and Let's Tell You Why, if this was called Any Chance to Look at Nick Fury is Hot is Good, Nicholas <laughs> Joseph Fury, come sit in my lap. Like, you know, I love Maria Hill as a strong Latin woman. Uh, we've reached a point where and i was having this conversation with teak the other day when we were walking to coast city comics i think we were walking at the time yeah uh, can't possibly say enough great stuff about that shop or it might have been one of the awesome shops uh up in portland that we were looking at but i specifically no longer think i understand the difference between an event and a crossover and a and like a mini series because like hear me out uh so okay Dark Web was a crossover event, but did not have a unique Dark Web miniseries per se. There were some books that ran through it, but there was no Dark Web miniseries. There were two one-shots. There were two one-shots. Well, but then there were subtitles too. D dark Web X-Men, Dark Web... Right. Oh, uh... So that was more like an event. Mm -hmm. Then there's this, which isn't an event. This is like a miniseries that is kind of a crossover. I know it's not a crossover, but Nick Fury, this particular Nick Fury, Maria Hill, 
the Iron Man story, all of these Avengers, they don't all exist in one book normally. This is a callback to an era that no longer exists, which makes it a crossover by virtue of needing to satisfy a number of characters. That is the failing of this book. Ryan North did a deft job making this feel vital, making it feel important. The art is incredible beginning to end. Every page of this art is amazing. Um, but I just don't feel like I got my money's worth. I don't feel like this was $20 across five issues. This felt like $64 in a one-shot. And I would have bought three $64 one-shots that each had their own plot before I would have bought five issues of this. Um, the failing is on Marvel, not on Ryan North or the incredible art team. The failing is on packaging here. Because this was a great miniseries that was not a Secret Invasion follow-up at all. Well, and not to sound cynical, but like they've got a Secret Invasion TV series coming up. And this is this to me, if I were to guess, feels like just an attempt to put the name back in our consciousness consciousnesses. Uh, conscious eye. Con conscientia. There it is. Um so that you know we you know just, just playing the fertilizing the soil uh so that you know we're we're ready for it when it comes out and that's it's i find it uh, yes i i am a little cynical about it the story the story stands on its own i think calling it secret invasion is like it's not a callback to the original secret invasion not which was so good um you know scroll town usa like i i'm oh. all, i think we should i think we should just shoot some more titles out because i think that's my favorite part of, of this is like giving this an appropriate title the marvelous land of scrolls um i mean i, I would go right to scroll kill crew because it's been a while mm -hmm. skull, um, kill, kill, skull kill crew 2 right west scroll me <laughs> i hate you <laughs> um I do think you are. I think it's pretty obvious that this is meant to be, you know, Marvel remixed by Skrullix. Better call Skrull. Better call Skrull. Uh, I have a growth on my Skrulltum. <laughs> Guess who's Skrull in the house? <laughs> she Skrulk. Um, I use Skrull Share all the time. I, I, this is obviously meant to put the name out there as we're doing some NC unification. Uh, that's fine. I, I, the thing that really worries me is that I feel like this is kind of telling us exactly what the plot of secret invasion. The show is going to be Thanks. that we're going to get this, like they're against us. We're fighting back against them. Oh, it turns out there's actually some good ones. We use the good ones to trick you all. Uh, now, now they're in the mix too. They're heroes too. But I did like, I mean, it's not a bad plot. Um, and I did like what we got, I guess, you know, it's the idea of event versus crossover. This really felt like the setup for an event. Yeah. And that last page reveal after yeah. the last page. Oh, I'm so tired of that. Mm -hmm. I'm really tired of that. But also it's just like, we know the schedule coming up. If this is not happening until the fall, a five issue mini to set up, you know, what I don't think is going to be Secret Invasion 2, a huge crossover event, uh, a five-issue mini in uh, March is maybe not enough. 
especially if they're going to set it up for later this year. There's going to be three Hellfire Galas before that. I can't even possibly. I mean, and how can you possibly beat the first one? There was a years-long setup. There were shadowed characters to try and hint who were going to be, who was a scroll and who wasn't. Like, it Electra was, was a scroll for four years. Spider-Woman. Oh, was the Queen's... Maybe I shouldn't. No, it's okay to spend a twenty. It's okay to spoil that one. I mean, like two thousand and eight. It was a fun <laughs> event, and the lead up to it was so much fun. Ben just did impressive. a solid job with that. Um, but this is not. This is not that. I mean, it's it's a contain. It feels contained. Um, and if it is leading into something, it's not going to be for a while. So it's like, why 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 psych us up now? You know, get the ball rolling when we're a little closer to what you want to do with it. Now, Jonah, this was a pass for you, right? That's, yes um now, was it just like you know that the name has caveat so like you were were you like actually the opposite of what we're saying were you turned off because you don't know what the name means yes i have an aversion to marvel having secret in the title having invasion in the title i get yes. nervous i get scared I think about a lot of different things when I see those there. So I have to think to myself, okay, <laughs> is it going to be like last time? But it's good to hear that this is, you know, not worth the way they made it, but still good in its own right. And speaking of still good in its own right, we're actually uh, running to the end of this segment. And I want to talk about two books that are still definitely good in their own right, but I don't know the audience exactly. Maybe you guys can help me out with this. Excellent number one is, um, you know, it's a dream come true that this book is still running, that this is essentially the 11th issue of The Return of the Excellent. We had the one shot, then we had five issues. Now we have this, you know, I was uh, with Teak and we were looking at omnibus editions and there's a, a, a discount edition of the Ecstatics omnibus somewhere. And I was like, you know what? Don't pick it up because there's so much additional material now. They're mm -hmm. likely to split this in two and do a reprint the way they've done with a number of books. You know, the crazy thing is this reads like the excellent number, you know, uh, number seven, because it's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. And it at the same time reads like Ecstatics 35. And, and that's also kind of what it is. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't because the thing, I, I was a boy, right? Like, so I was a boy and this was something that really appealed to me because it spoke meta contextual things by a writer who, I make a lot of comments about how Pete Milligan is like, uh, like, like a spiritual like advisor to me in this world and uh pete milligan's hellblazer uh issues 250 to 300 i think are just like one of the finest magic superhero runs of all time um you know imagine somebody coming in at x-men 256 and saying i'm gonna give scott summers a romantic love interest so believable you'll forget about gene gray because that's what he did making us forget about kit when he create when he created epiphany graves so, like, when I say Pete Milligan is literally a magician, like, Pete Milligan is a Grant Morrison. Like, and this is my Grant Morrison. Like, this is the person I connect with who, you know, makes a lot of queer references, a lot of queer characters, never comes out of the closet. Um, makes a lot of commentary about social media, doesn't have social media of their own. <laughs> um, 
this book is so personal to me in a way that like I don't like talking about it on the show actually and like if you go back and look at my my segments on it I speak the least because I have nothing constructive to say about this book I'm always going to be 19 years old and scared of my own potential and believe that I am Mr. Sensitive and I'm always going to see Zeitgeist as the cool guys that bullied me. But like, I look at myself now and I am the cool guys that bullied me physically. So visualizing Zeitgeist as that is anthema of who I am and is about why this book is really not necessary now. Its sheer existence makes me happy, but it is not necessary to a landscape of comics to return to an era of self-loathing that perpetuated the sort of breaking bad ideals that perverted the, the, the male protagonist. I, I don't know that this book needs to exist as much as it is quite literally my favorite book on the market. I would say I think you make a lot of valid points. I think a book like this needs to exist. The present day equivalent to what Ecstatics was in its day, how it commented on the mutant metaphor in a way that really poked fun at the people that need the mutant metaphor in a way that you should, in a way that you should always be checking yourself. It was the book that was kind of making us all check ourselves as X-Men fans and as people who felt othered but could also other other people yeah you know it's it's different now and krakoa really speaks to this idea that we have that like let's unite and take care of each other and fuck everybody else which i fully agree with and apologize for the language <laughs> f everybody else but that gets to be poked fun at too because we sometimes go way overboard and i just think i i would love for a book like ecstatics was back in the day the excellent is still doing the same stuff Exax was doing, which is still fantastic. Don't get me wrong. So good. It's just a different thing, and we need a different thing right now. I really, I, I actually, I really liked this issue, and I've liked, it, I liked it a lot because it, I felt like it was finally gelling uh, what they've been doing with this next, this, this next round of Ecstatics excellent storytelling. Um, you know, the ecstatics oeuvre has always been this kind of extended exploration of celebrity culture, media culture, uh, parasocial relationships, um, you know, fame and immortality achieved through these, through the lens of social media. Um, and this is, this is kind of what I, I'm seeing crystallized in this story now is this, this concern, this this question, this this uh, attainable idea of you know how do you how do you achieve immortality? Well, let me count the ways. One of these ways is to be remembered. You know, Zeitgeist is clearly invested in building a follower base and using that to achieve some level of apotheosis. It's not dissimilar to what Mother Righteous is doing over in uh, Way of X. Or, or I wonder why every writer is so obsessed with cult of personality as a way to gain followers <laughs> and power all of a sudden. I wonder I mean, what could have happened to change as the cultural we've seen, diaspora. Demagoguery is, a, is, is certainly a, 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 a apparently legitimate pathway to power building. And hopefully um, arrestable. But I also really, I love the perspective <laughs> character in, <laughs> in this issue, because <laughs> it's an eyeball. Um, there was a lot of really beautiful uh, exploration of bodily disassociation and desire um, 
it really felt like it was this kind of coded expression for anyone who's ever felt like a, a deep disconnection to their body very uh, very uh, uh uh visible mutation kind of kind of coded experience um and just the kind of internal exploration of that i felt was really keen too because of the way uh you can connect that to the so the, the the experience of the social media as body like the social the social persona as the body in in that kind of disassociative way as well i think this is a really clever book and now that i now that we're kind of getting to the second half of the arc um i'm really and and i'm seeing some of these storylines start to weave together in ways that make a little a little more sense and feel a little less dataist um I'm I'm excited to see where it goes because I think it's actually it's saying some really profound things, um, and and now I'm more on board with it than I was with this issue than I was at the end of the last issue in a big way. And uh, Jonah, I would love to get your take on this issue because, like again, this for me was definitive. I mean, this series was one of the first things I told you you had to read uh, <laughs> the original, like to read comics with me in order to understand me. You've got to you got to know who you go girl and do bar, and then this issue. It was just so cool seeing Edie stand by a woman, like out of nowhere. Like that was exactly who she's meant to be. She stood by another woman and uh, wouldn't let a man who took advantage of her take advantage of that woman. And that was just like as Edie as it gets. And I would love to know, Jonah, for you, uh, your your vibes on this issue. Uh, well, these issues definitely 100% passed the vibe checks. Um, I was really enjoying, uh, Ecstatics and the fact that it was just going to a different title. It's season two, uh, different name made me really happy. Cause I was, it was one of the books. I was like, well, are they, are they not going to finish what's going on? <laughs> it was so far removed from everything Krakoa that it, it was a little refreshing. Not that I'm not enjoying Krakoa's stuff, but it is a little nice to be like, we don't have to pretend, we can pretend that none of that actually exists right now. We're not dealing with any of that. Nobody cares about any of that. What we care about is popularity and stream numbers. And I mean, why are we that, here? <laughs> I maintain that this book uh, commentating on that social media influencer lifestyle that um, any publicity is a good publicity. Any publicity is good publicity. I couldn't speak there because I'm just so so. Words I'm hard. So, yeah, speaking's hard. Um, <laughs> but I have to because it's a podcast, and you need to hear my voice. <laughs> I can't just emote and mouth the entire time because that wouldn't make sense. I really enjoy everything that's going on. Um, uh, Uno is uh, get Uno and Aura Serrata in a room together, <laughs> and let's just Wait, see what happens between watch the two the balls. Fun. With the orb. Um, the orb. It and is Ruby. Oh. And Sapphire. Um, it is... I, I can't describe, uh, like, just the, the absurdity of this book. I don't know. The line that, like, made me realize that nothing was serious and everything is good in the world, right, currently with this title, is um, uh, Mr. Sensitive saying, well, I don't think Zeitgeist has a dog. <laughs> It truly took me out. I left, um, and I was at Astral Projection just like uh, Stephen Strange. <laughs> and um, yeah, I realized that this book isn't serious, and it's uh, that's okay. Actually, the book is deadly serious. Hold on. The book goes out of its way to explain 
how the eyeball creature person experiences the fullness of life and the understanding mm -hmm. that imitation, even the finest imitation, cannot sustain. Yes. And that confrontation actually really set the stage really well for Hellcat in a lot of ways. The idea of Hellcat, that she is forced into a duality of binaryism. For Hellcat, everything is black or white. Am I good or bad? Did you do it or did you not do it? Everything in Christopher Cantwell's Hellcat number one is a magical reaction to fact. But everything in the excellent number one is a farciful reaction to feelings. And by examining the way these two books are totally different, I think they actually paint a really beautiful view of what I'm calling the Marvel Boutique title. A number of years ago, Marvel said, I trust Immortal X-Men by Brubaker, Fraction, and Aja to be beautiful. I trust Daredevil by Wade, Rivera, and Sam need to be beautiful. And they're doing it again with a line of titles like Hellcat Number 1, Excellent Number 1, and in its own way, Bishop War College, which is really representing the needs of the Black community by having Black creators servicing Black characters and a Black audience in a beautiful way. I do think that Hellcat was a little more dramatic than I expected, but it is my pick of the week because it was stylistically delicious. This was a really well-made black and white cookie from a New York deli. This had the flavors, the texture, the bite. It gave me multiple flavors. It was a little bit divided in a way that I would have preferred maybe be a little smoother. It was kind of like, so the binary, but whereas in, ex in excellent, there is no binary. There is, oh, look, I can, I can have sex, but it's an imitation. And I can feel delicious food, but it's an imitation. Is it ever good enough? Well, it has to be fine. Hellcat was only concerned with good or bad. Did you kill him? I'm in love with you. I really thought that these two books on this one slide really gave you a feel of the power of Marvel boutique titling. How did you guys feel about Hellcat? Hey, dupe. How did you guys feel about <laughs> Hellcat and the nature of that duality? Oh, that's my baby. I genuinely loved this uh, title. Uh, having read nothing of Patsy before, having on the only experience being way back a couple of years ago, Marvel did an event calendar, uh, a Lego event calendar, and Patsy was one of them. And I was like, Nico, who's that? And he's like, that's Patsy. That's Hellcat. And I was like, I don't know who she is. That's a character. <laughs> and Nico was like, she's been in Avengers. She's been in comics for years upon years upon years. And I was like, you're a romance character in the 50s. She, and they reference it here. She predates every superhero you can name except Namor, uh, the original Human Torch, and Captain America. Um, and what I loved about this is that it was essentially um what if the archie comics were really bloody and it was mm -hmm. really entertaining and i thoroughly enjoyed this and I, you said this at the, at the beginning of the episode one of the most aesthetically art pleasing books uh, like everything Never. about the art just hit every single box in my brain was absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and i was so happy um that i got to read this 
Jake. Now, there's actually only ever been two books called Hellcat before, other than her romance titles. So there was a title in 1998 called Hellcat, and then there was a title in 2013 by Catherine Eminen, who I'm a big fan of, but I know that her work is sometimes a little questionable for other people. Like, it can be hard to understand. Uh, I get it. She's a, she's a frenetic, chaotic writer. Had you ever read either Hellcat title before? And if this was your first title, how did you feel about coming to play with uh, Patsy, who I keep going to call Patsy Klein and say I fall to pieces? That's um, fault. Hellcats was the best show ever, and I only wish it was still on the air forever. Well, I, you know, I've, I've been a Marvel fan for a long time, so I've picked up Hellcat kind of by osmosis. I've never really, I don't think I've read any of her main series. If I did, maybe like uh, an issue here or there in a pile of comics randomly at times. Um, she's kind of aware who she was in the background. She's she got ties to hell and that whole like son of Satan verse. Um, I always liked the idea that Marvel went out of its way to take this old character who was like this, you know, she's just a girl from a romance comic, the star of her own romance comic, and not only make that part of her history, but turn her like turn her into this really dark, noir, like murderous, bloody thing. I I think that's so fun. <laughs> I think that's so cool. And I really, I like the way that they translated that into the Jessica Jones series, um, where they made Patsy kind of this Hannah Montana figure. <laughs> and and it's just like, yeah, my mom made me do that. Yeah, my mom made me do that. Like it's very, and it's very much the vibe in here. I really like this characterization. And and I'll tell you what, while I, I haven't read a lot of Hellcat in my time, I did read a lot of Sleepwalker. So I was deliciously delighted to see my boy in this comic. I don't think I've seen Sleepwalker since the '90s. I haven't been paying attention to what they've been up to, but like, not much. He like made this was fun. One appearance in Marvel 1000, I believe, <laughs> where they briefly went over who Sleepwalker was. And <laughs> that was it. Did you know? Okay. Yeah, well, it was it's yeah, it's that was that was exciting to me because I always liked that character and it's it's cool to see them back and to see what they're up to. Now, TK, did you uh did you hell the cat or did you cat the I don't know, joke here, but hell cat no cat. I haven't held very much cat. Um I <laughs> Oh my goodness. Sorry about that, folks. Um I <laughs> actually recently read the Iron Man Hellcat annual that just kind of came out of nowhere um, because I'm really interested in who's going to end up marrying Tony Stark for his money. I don't, <laughs> I want it to be Emma cause I want her to get more money, but people say that I shouldn't want that. So I really saw Patsy as a solid contender. Um, that book is really fascinating cause Blackheart is in it. There's, yeah. there's stuff happening all the time, and I get so excited and frustrated because, you know, Blackheart is a part of Ghost Rider, Hellcat crossing over with Blackheart. Does that mean somehow there could be some way for Hellcat to cross over with Ghost Rider, which would be fascinating to me? I think my only problem with this book is it becomes really difficult to be a standalone character in a standalone book and not be attached to something else. And I think it is often to the detriment of the book in the case of the excellent that it is not really tying itself to anything x related i know yeah. that seems freeing but it also means that it's tough to tell the relevance at the same time hellcat i'm like could you be in new york right now working for luke cage i want to know 
how you can tie into all these other things because i know she's an influential character is she gonna tie in with iron man i you know this book didn't quite give me any of that except for the sleepwalker thing and my first thought there is like nightmare but like mm -hmm. setting up these boutique gorgeous uh sort of isolated stories i love them but at the same time i just feel like that is a recipe for irrelevance yeah, and it's a tough market. It's really it's a tough market, and I want books like this to succeed. So I wish I had that tie. That is my only critique. But otherwise, everything you said is so spot on. Well, we've run a little late, <laughs> a little long. <laughs> had a really good little time. Uh, we're gonna come back in just a few minutes to talk about some spooky Spider Mans. But until we come back to spook ourselves on some Spider Mans, Jake, it has been a pleasure, an honor. And an absolute heart farming experience oh. to sit and talk these comics with you. And uh, since everybody, I'm sure, is walking away from this as in love with you as we are, oh. where can everybody find you on the interwebs if they want to stalk you and dox you? Uh, nowhere. They can't find me anywhere for that. Um, He's a ghost. If you, but if you if you if you want to like say kind things to me and like boost my takes on comic book things. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel, like Omega Sentinel, not like Omega Sentinel, because that's not me. It's O comma Mega Sentinel, but there's no comma there. It's it's on the screen. It's right. It's down there. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at the Heart Farmer, um, which yes, it does sound like I'm farming hearts. And hey, why not? Why not? I mean, somebody's got to take care of the hearts. Well, it's a good protein source. Right? I miss and you, you're... my beautiful husband, and I love that I can see our puppy in the background um, doing her thing. <laughs> that made yes. me happy. Yes, you can. Yes, she is. <laughs> well, well, thank you, everyone. Have a great night. And about to say, if you want to see more of the amazing, uh, beautiful puppies, don't forget to like and subscribe to this wonderful show and to everybody's social medias. Uh, three of us will be back with a slightly different guest uh, sitting in that seat for some Spider-Man. So don't go away. Enjoy these commercials. Like, subscribe. <laughs> you know the deal. All right, you guys know what we're here to do. We're here to talk about some spooky Spider-Mans. I've been saying it all episode. Spooky, but... scary Spider-Man and webs down your spine. Yeah, I, you know, but to help us with the Spider-Man, Spider-Man spooks you out however a spider can. Uh, we have a, a an additional voice who, if you've been watching, you know so well by now. Hey, what's up, Tori? Where can everybody what's find up, you? Nico? Hi, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheen and on Instagram at smtori, uh, and I'm also with you on the Billy Club Pod on all your socials. And as as always, uh, I am ever joined by Jonah and my co-hostess. Well, no, co-hoster with the moster. <laughs> I'm like, I want the mostest. I just want the sound of it. I appreciate it. Uh, a co-hostess, like a hostess cupcake. Yeah, yeah, because uh, delicious cream filling. Filled. Yeah. Uh, now, okay, hold on. This is of note. Now, Tori, did you realize this was written by a black-eyed pea? I, no. <laughs> so, so this is written by one no. of the black-eyed peas. Really? I believe it's the guy who says, let's get ill, that's the deal. I believe it's that one, mm -hmm. Taboo. Okay. And his co-writer's name is B. Earl. Um, and they've written because some of, uh -huh. yeah, they've written some of the finest Marvel comics to come out of Marvel offices in the last maybe 10, 15 years. Well, thank God he found something he was good at. <laughs> oh, he, burn, burn. Uh, no offense to any tabooists or taboo himself listening. Um, 
so these are two of our favorite books in the last couple of years. Spirit Rider, starring uh, none other than Kushala, the coolest Sorcerer Supreme and coolest Ghost Rider ever. Uh, I love Robbie Moore, but Kushala's unstoppable. Uh, Sandra Bernhard would say so. And then um, Werewolf by Night, one of the best reimaginings of anything I've read at Marvel literally ever. And this is quite literally a Black Eyed Pea. This is a uh, taboo. And uh, this artist did the art for the recently enjoyed by our team, uh, Spine Tingling Spider-Man, which is why we read, kind of read it again for this. I just thought it would be uh, really good to see the artist whose work on an Infinity comic kind of proved the point to Marvel so much that like there is room for a Spider-Man horror title. Spine Tingling Spider-Man Infinity Comic 1 through 8 was by the incredible Saladin Ahmed with pencils, colors, and inks by Juan Ferreira. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. And that badass Octo series was dropped from October 26th, just in time for Halloween, straight through to 2222, which I guess is just about as third as evil as you get. Then... From there, we're going to hop over to later in the same year of evil with Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man 1 through 5, written by Taboo and B. Earl. Hey, guys, amazing job. Another brilliant, breathtaking, beautiful, as stated by uh, team member Steve over on Twitter earlier today when we were talking about it, one of the most beautiful books to come out of Marvel in years. Uh, again, Juan Ferreira, this time lettered by the brilliance of VCs, Travis Lanham, and this book dropped from uh, just about Halloween, once again, October 29th, straight through to 22223. Oh, the dark magic synergy. So um, one was 2222, the other is 22223. It's a, it's, a, it's a whole thing, right? Some numerology. Okay. I just went on and on about how much I loved this, but the, the thing I want to say more than anything, and I'm going to let TK say it because I have no right to take this from him. Huh. Uh, TK, there is one thing in Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man that trumps all other things we have covered lately. Go on. Oh, I was going to let you do it, but uh, Dream, Dream Spider is uh, the coolest thing ever in a world of uh, Spider-Verse where they're trying to shove like spider go bot dinosaurs down your throat which just don't always work yeah guys be we, a, we got one be this <laughs> it really i mean that actually is kind of a point that's been sitting that you just phrased so perfectly we create new spiders like every day because of Spider-Verse, anything, there's like a ramen spider, like anything that you can think of, any cultural uh, touchstone, you know, any era, there's 70s spider, there's 1870s spider, there's 1700 BC spider, and that's fine. Cool, creative ideas come out of that, but it often does sort of equate to like Spicer Girls, like it's just whatever I can think of, spider. And, and they just, you know, the, the concepts are always just like a, another universe. It's, it's right close by. It's just like ours, except for this person's here. This work was done creatively to tell a story that 
ends in somebody else becoming a spider person in a way that is true to the heart of the totemic symbology of what makes a spider person and it goes deep into that mythology but from the angle of native american stories as told by a native american man uh interacting with concepts that most of us have no right really to uh appropriate but that when somebody else does this much work and thinks this beautifully and creatively to create a new character it's special on another level i mean you know it's i taboo obviously didn't create kushala but he did a lot of the same work to give us a ghost rider that we could really uh resonate with in a different way and that speaks to a part of american mythology that we have allowed to be forgotten it's beautiful and exciting and you know i really have not been this excited about a spider since i realized uh what really made may day so special how did you guys feel about this title, these spiders, this dream? I was excited to see Nico's bear come back. <laughs> I do love demon bears a little too much. Um, I was really, I really enjoyed the usage of those Native American tales, uh, getting your coyote and and other buddies. Um, I really enjoyed the page that had uh, the panels in a Fibonacci sequence going in to show him, uh, to show Peter swinging around. Um, I liked it a lot. I didn't feel as terrified as I did with spine tingling, but I felt that this was a bigger pro possible problem for the world. Yeah, this yeah, like this one, one spooky song. This one felt like uh, he probably would have been smarter for him to call him back up. Oh, I would agree for sure. This definitely felt like, I don't want to say like I was surprised that this didn't wind up being like Nightmare or like, yeah. like, but this had the makings of a big bad guy. I think if, I think if a white person had written it, it would have. Yeah, and I definitely think that um, for me, who's not always expecting a big bad to come out of every corner, like I like having just sometimes weird shit is happening. Uh, I definitely <laughs> thought that we would get the the cool wizard punk lady back for more towards the end. But oh, she was so cool. She was so cool, but I'll take a new purple spider for the win. So, And she gets to keep that, right? She gets to keep being a spider? I hope. Mm. Now, Jonah, um, how did you feel about this foray into some really expressive magical spider stuff? Um, so when I read uh, Diddly Neighborhood Spider-Man, uh, I'm getting into these issues and I'm reading it and I'm like, uh, someone called Danny Moonstar, someone stole her story, uh, someone get her, she has all the, she has all the makings and... Uh, 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 characterness and the wherewithal to know how to deal with this demon bear because she's done it once she could do it again and um, that's where my mind first went and I was like oh someone call her but she wasn't called and that's okay I, I mean <laughs> I don't think she and Peter have ever really met no and she hung what out a perfect opportunity she yeah. hung out over in the pages of a uh, Bishop's Four College so mm -hmm. she she kind of yeah. did the thing she's on the east coast yeah she's right she's now. doing other things she's uh, She's on the move. She's on the prowl. She's got she's got places to be, things to do. Um, but I was I was you know really 
happy to read these. I get to enjoy when Peter doesn't. Um, <laughs> Peter doesn't get to be happy is not the way I want to phrase it. Uh, when Peter gets to experience different emotions and being afraid, not because of like he can't love MJ or Felicia or he's worried about Aunt May. Those are different kind of fears. That's like too realistic. This is just horror movie kind of fear. And seeing Peter place in experiences like this, I think is really great for a character that's been around for so long that it gives him some new experiences and some new stories that he gets to play with when you get to play with the genre that he's currently in. Oh, for sure. Even just the idea of him like doing a project on the West Coast for school. Oh, yeah, the setup was so good here. Just that he's a part of some special science thing. Oh, I loved that. Which, like, of course, is totally plausible. And it's kind of necessary. Because that's the thing that I think, as a people, we sometimes forget. Like, we say we want these characters to be really human and have really normal experiences. We want characters that are people, too. And I want that as well. But then it has to come at some cost of page space. Like, at some point, it needs to just be Spider-Man in California doing a job thing. And because everybody wants to tell a Spider-Man story, there are so many people trying to tell the regular story and then the exception that it becomes difficult to express that duality well. Something that a really good story does, in my mind, is it expresses that duality without making it all about the duality. I really enjoyed that these were new characters that I didn't really know from Spider-Man's mythology. Admittedly, I will be very sad if Ada doesn't show back up. I thought she was an amazing character right off the bat. I think, uh, you know, Dream Spider is an incredible character, and she only serves to enhance the quality of this, you know, this really confrontational thing. You know, I love Mr. Crow and all of the darkness of like the, the playing into Corviday and the murder of crows. Mm. And hmm, mm. I really thought there was something aggressive about the magic here. Aggressive. And it wants you to acknowledge it. We've spent so long saying, oh, but native things are fine. They're all over our country, but yeah, they're not really our things as a people. And this put them in our face. And thank you. Thank you for putting this in my face. Thank you for not letting me look the other way. Uh, I just think Taboo and Earl are forging a part of the Marvel Universe that should be recognized. They need a hardcover. They need an omnibus edition. Uh, their Kushala is, I'm going to say it again, the longest infinity comic of all time i mean it is in the most impressive way possible oh yeah magnum excel style this is very very you know wine bottle sized but the problem is it isn't a great container for this story the story is so much better than I feel my phone presented it. You know, there are stories that are really written to seem really cool on your phone. Like, I actually think that spine-tingling Spider-Man, like, reads in your bed so well, just scrolling it and flipping your phone. Like, there's a darkness and, like, with the covers over your head and it's a little cold and, like, you get, like, the bites and the chills and, like, 
It reads so beautifully on my phone. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways this did as well. The nature of the Kushala story was a little too big. Uh, and I know this isn't a Kushala story podcast yet, but, um, but it all, I, I mean, everything ties back to Ma mighty Maxine's diner. So exactly. You know. And you know, the end of the day, I want to talk about why this story is important. And for me, why this story is important is because this represented Spider-Man giving us other people's stories. This, it was a Spider-Man story, but it was about a magic rock. And the magic rock could have been found by Hulkling, or it could have been found by Boom Boom, or it could have been found by any number of people, because the fact that it was Spider-Man wasn't the story here. Spider-Man was a willing passenger in other people's magic narrative. This could have been told from anybody's vantage point, but telling it from Spider-Man's vantage point provided it the best sales. Clearly, I do not think that we should be appropriating stories, but the story wasn't appropriated in that it was written by people of color. So then we're seeing people of color take the opportunity to express their story in the way that hard to get to do something different white people are willing to go for it and now we have characters of color that were introduced in this story who can get their own book like kushala got the spirit writer one shot and the infinity comic and werewolf by night got the four issue series i think this represents a moment that reminds us that even the titular hero can be the passenger because Spider-Man is no longer the main character. Spider-Man is the trope and we are setting native stories against the trope just as if Captain Britain showed up. We'd be setting Albionic stories against the trope. And I think that's what I think is going on here. Spider-Man is the setting the story is the Earl and Taboo. It's the totem. You know, Spider-Man yeah. being there is the totem. And, and we're, you know, Marvel said, you two, here it is. What do you want to do with it? And they did this story that gives us a new spider. And that's what really makes it special in that way that I was talking about that is a little less special when it's just cut to Earth 1602. There's a spider person in it now. To really go like bring the totem in and have that shine a light on something that a lot of us don't understand or know about and have no right to appropriate, but we can appreciate the story. And also like my first thought is I want to write the next story about dream spider, but I also want to ensure that like I hire somebody like taboo to consult and make sure that all of my references are completely tight but that I fold in Dream Spider into the wider Marvel universe. That Ada shows up at Strange Academy. They created a bunch of new toys and they're gorgeous and they put them right on the shelf to go with the other ones in a way that is just perfect. And it is all through the lens of, of the spider. Yeah, this is definitely like a backdoor pilot uh, to me. Um, it also feels a lot like how we got um, the new Iron Fist uh, in the one shot that we had before then, where it's it's living in a larger character's world, but it 
it's not really about them because at the end of the day, any hero that could eventually be pulled back with, wait, don't turn into them, can fit at the end of the day. That is such a good call mm-hmm. on the death of Doctor Strange, White Fox, one shot, which, yeah, backdoor pilot. Like, it, it's, uh, we went nuts over that book, and then it spawned this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Which got a one shot that tied into uh, an event with uh, Judgment Day Iron Fist. Where so... he spoke with Loki, so it went even beyond, because that's a thing. That's supernova. <laughs> it's, it's that no, thing no, 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 that... Nova's in space. Right, but it's oh. the super one, so, you know. Um, it's that thing that, you know, watching a character transcend the box that people want to put them in uh, is a really special thing. But I think also honoring the boxes as well. And I think that's something really great that happened with the progression of the new Iron Fist. Um, and that Loki moment where it's like this, you know, don't just think of Iron Fist as somebody that can only exist in Kunlun stories. Like he can go toe to toe with an Asgardian. And I think we saw a really similar thing happen almost immediately with Dream Spider, where she is, you know, friends with she's peers with Peter and ends up, you know, getting what she needs to be at his level on both fronts. And it just means now she can kind of go anywhere. Cause she's going to work with Peter, no matter what Kamala works with Peter and they're 12 years apart. Gwen works with Peter and she's like five years younger. Miles is possibly going to go to school where Peter TAs. I've just found out that I'm currently enrolled in college and Peter and I go to the same university. (laughs) Hold on. I, Hi, Peter. I'll be at our study group as soon as I can. Oh, you have to go do spider things? No problem. Your secret's safe with me. So, like, you know, end of the day, he's going to work with her anyway because that's just what they've done with all Spider-Man stories for the last couple of years. They really want that The Office vibe. They just really want Pete to be able to gym the camera in the mask. So, end of the day. I, I fell in love with this miniseries. I think Spider-Man is suited to scary better than a lot of stuff is suited to scary. Uh, I like my X-Men scary, but I like things about my X-Men scary. I don't know that I would buy a scary X-Men book. I like, I mean, I probably would, but I don't know that you can do found family in fear all the time. You could create like, a team of X characters that had a horror book, but it's pretty tough to consistently be like, this is the horror X-Men league because i know that if peter's in a horror book there's still 15 more books with peter but like on an x team unless your name is gray summers or howlet or frost honestly frost you're probably only a regular in one book and recurring in a few right so to me if you're in the x-men horror book that's it that's your life that's your sad sad life you're in the x-men horror book it's your sad sad life but like spider-man can be in 10 books and will be yeah I thought they could do, like, a really awfully horrifying, like, mystery uh, mystery van X, X team with some yes. form of dog nearby. Yep. It's like the four of them traveling around dealing with, this thing is haunted. Maybe it's a mutant. They just tell everybody Lockheed is a dog. <laughs> um Tori, God, every time with you, it's so funny. You just are so on... on about the idea and the concepts. 
And yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it would be. If the X-Men had a horror thing, it would be four of them going off and being the Scooby gang. Yeah. But then they couldn't be like uh, on the Krakoan Quiet Council. They couldn't be an immortal X-Men. That book would be like Exterminators, which is, you know, the Grindhouse version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Peter, he can, and you know, I said this earlier, we brought the Midnight Sun stuff to Peter rather than putting Peter in the Midnight Suns. But then on top of that, we created another potential Midnight Sun. Well, I until the Magical Mystery Tour has come and take you away to Krakoa, uh, I am curious. I would love to get everybody's closing thoughts on Spine Tingling Spider-Man, Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, and what it need, what it means to be spooked out by the art because the stories were spooky magic song creepy giant bird dreams verse creepy but for all the amazing we said about taboo b earl and saladin ahmed i just want to say that juan ferreira created a horror scape i'll never forget and he did it 13 times He is the credited penciler, inker, and colorist. And while I do not believe that any one creator needs to do everything, if you're going to Fiona Staples, Fiona Staples this good. And I really think this was an opportunity for somebody like uh, Juan Ferreira to show the world that they are a David Mack level all-purpose artist and to do it on something that is as a person of, you know, I'm assuming from the last name and the full name, you know, a person of color, uh, a person of a not traditionally all white ethnocentric European look. Cool. Really great to see a different take on horror that isn't the same Geiger inspired heavy metal book. So I would love to get your guys take and your sign offs. Uh, I, I really enjoyed both of these. I think that, uh, Spider-Man is great for a lot of horror, particularly because, you know, you can turn him into a spider and people get really freaked out by spiders, extra limbs, extra creepiness, extra eyes, like it's always a good shot. So um, I think it's a lot of fun to get to be in horror. I think that Peter as the perennial just past teenager is also a really good age for horror. He's neither too young to be like worried nor too old to be like concerned um about him making it through so i think that i think this is gorgeous i love the art i can't wait to see another third horror series from from this crew the art as you said is absolutely fantastic so you can find me on sm tori on instagram and at tori underscore sheehan on the twitters amazing uh mr jonah how about you? How about your feels on Spooky Spiders and uh, where everybody can find you on the interwebs? Uh, spooky Spiders are pretty great. I Like I said before, is this my camera? Uh, I like when Peter <laughs> gets to be put in situations that aren't... Uh, that he gets to experience new emotions, especially for a character that's been around for so long and has such giant history, which is also, the oh, I would dare I say, the face of Marvel superhero comics, Spider-Man being such an insanely popular character as he is. I know a lot of writers are trying different ways. To, how do you get this character some good stories that's been around for years upon years at this point? 
And I think one of that ways is switching up that genre, giving, putting him in horror situations. I've always had a good time. These are two fantastic series that I recommend to anybody who wants to read them. So go out and give it a shot. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Amazing. Uh, co-host, I could never do this stuff without. Guy who uh, does like all the heavy lifting with me. What are your thoughts on Spooky Spider-Man? And uh, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? I'm so excited about this book. I am so excited about Marvel horror right now. Just all across the board, there is such great stuff happening. I'm so excited about uh, writers like Taboo, uh, Rebecca Rowan Horse, uh, native writers weaving their mythology, which is the mythology of the land that we are occupying and that we simply don't appreciate enough. And it's so important that they be allowed to tell these stories and a beautiful thing about marvel is i don't think it's wrong for a white writer now to come in and work with dream spider or reference this story but that groundwork really needs to be done by somebody who is attached to the culture and they deserve to be paid for the hard work um but you know once a once a character and a concept is created it gets out into the wider marvel world and i just see both Peter uh, as a potential and Dream Spider as like a really rooted part of Marvel horror as such big assets. Like I said, I, oh, can, yeah. I can see this character in Midnight Suns. I immediately see her interacting with Kushala and, you know, having some sort of mentorship. I see them all, including Ada, going to Strange Academy and helping to teach. Uh, there's just so much potential and when you put that against what Ben Percy is doing in Ghost Rider, I was talking just before about Hellcat interacting with Blackheart. There's these things could all interweave and at times are, or at times it might just be my dreams, but really Marvel horror is taking things to a really fantastic new level. And it's artists like Juan Ferreira that are using aesthetics to bring out something in a horror comic that. It's, it's tough to pull out because, you know, you can't have a jump scare. So how are you really going to instill that fear? It's like Nico said, how are you going to feel like putting the covers around yourself, reading, you know, on a screen? It's possible. Juan Ferreira is doing it. These stories have done it. They're giving us so much. And I just I'm over the moon excited about all the potential here and all that has been accomplished with these stories. And if you want to kind of flip out about Dream Spider with me, you should get on Twitter and Instagram and find xNateXGrayX because I would love to talk about this with you. And, you know, I've made my feelings uh, pretty loudly vocalized for the last two hours. But just to say it's a stunning book. Go out there, pick it up, be spooked out, love it, love it good. Uh, make sure that you're supporting the stories that are not the stories you're seeing everywhere. If you really like Immortal X-Men and this month you don't have the money for Immortal X-Men, don't pick it up. But if you're really enjoying this and you're like, it's this or Immortal X-Men, I mean, make your decision. But this is the book that's likely to get cut before Immortal X-Men. So, uh, you know, if you want to put your money where your voice goes, that's one way to do it. And... Uh, that's it for me. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And you can find us all over this amazing network. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can also check out my original work, uh, Young Men in Love Anthology. Super excited. Can't believe the number of amazing awards that's been nominated for means the world to me. And until next time, 
you can check us out at X's for podcast X's uh, all of our amazing programs like Billy club all over this incredible network and keep those mutant lights lit those Krakoan gateways open. Don't forget we're covering books weekly now Woo. and we'll see you. Bye. I'm ready. Woo. Bye guys. Woo-hoo.